field, people will come. And it doesn't happen. You have to look at how you're doing business. Welcome to White Sox Business, a podcast about Chicago's Southside baseball team that's hosted by me, John Greenberg, and more importantly, our Jimmy Cordero, James Fegan. Subscribe to White Sox Business on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, check out James's and my work on The Athletic as well. James, big three-game series in Minnesota. Didn't quite go the White Sox way. Let's start with Ronaldo Lopez, who was yesterday's starter. And yesterday was Wednesday, and he didn't last very long and seemed a little confused about it. Uh, what is the story there with Ronaldo Lopez? I mean, he did not pitch well, so there's a limit to how much he really should be confused <laughs> about it. Um, he, he was not commanding well. He barely escaped a horrific first inning jam by just incredible amounts of luck um, and a ridiculously bad strike call on Nelson Cruz, and then his he had 33 pitches and counting. Um when, when uh, Renneria pulled him in the second inning, which after he just gave up a two-run double, and that was the the reason he cited. They're technically kind of building him up endurance-wise, and thus he has a little bit of injury caution handling to him. And, you know, even though he was, Lopez told us uh, post-game that he was supposed to get 90 pitches, you know, Renneria's like, we tried not to let anybody throw 40 in an inning, and he was definitely trending that way. Um, so there's a degree, I think, if you were really like dropping in on this with no context or you could say like, huh, it doesn't really seem fair to Lopez that they're, you know, post game mentioning that they might kick him out of the rotation and everyone seems to be leaning that way. Um, he's made four starts this season, one of which clearly like he was physically compromised from jump and that spiked his ERA and three where he's clearly been kind of, I, you know, you wonder how it would be in a season where they have triple A because they've been ramping him up from like 50 to 70 to 90 pitches. And, and maybe that that the whole getting him back in rhythm process would take place in the minors rather than um, kind of having it in real time in a compressed season where every se- uh, game is valuable. Um, I'm not entirely sure on that. Maybe this one and maybe the last one would have occurred in the majors, but it, it, it certainly hasn't been like an extended opportunity to get him rolling. And given that. You know, this is the organization that gave Lucas Giolito a year to stink uh, and come back from it and has had a long leash with all the other starters, Lopez included. Maybe this is a little bit of a rude awakening for him, for them to be kind of seemingly done with him. But with all the context, I think White Sox fans are just about ready to, um, you know, pay for Lopez's train ticket uh, or uh, buy him an Uber to Schomburg for quite some time now and that's probably because all the problems he's having look extremely familiar they, they've seen Lopez come out without command they've seen him um, you know not really uh, have off speed pitches that he can locate for strikes and put himself ahead they've seen him uh, you know the the touted velocity that he has is now a little bit lower this year so that's all the more reason to think he can't pitch over kind of the lack of precision that he has um, they, they, they've seen him basically not take any real super meaningful steps of progress over the, since he came up, uh, you know, ever, really since 2018, which was a fine year that it doesn't really seem like he, he really built on any point. So, um, everyone's been kind of waiting for the, the White Sox guy to move on from him. And it seems like with Carlos Rodon coming back, that that's likely to be the case. Yeah. And it's, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast and people talk about a lot, you know, is, was ranking the three pitchers the White Sox got from the Nationals in that trade and wondering who would have, you know, 
the best career. And obviously it looks not career wise, but right now it looks like Dane Dunning is obviously jumped ahead of, of Lopez. I mean, would you, where, how do you, how would you rank the rotation right now? Not in like how they're going to do it, but in like the confidence you have or even like the upside that these pitchers have right now. I mean, clearly Giolito and Keichel are one and two. Um, but at there, it's kind of a mess. I would say upside would be Cease, um, obviously, would be the next guy just in terms of, you know, just the raw tools that he has and even like the prospect pedigree that he has as far as like, and there's some degree of bias in just what I enjoy watching and, and you know, just the fact that, you know, maybe beat writers want people who are throw strikes so we can get out of here uh, type of um, attitude. But I think Dunning would be, certainly right now, is the person who gives you confidence that he's going to come in and kind of have a reasonable outing and get decently deep in the game and, and, and not kind of get in his own way. And to, to a degree, that's just the type of pitcher that he is. He's going to be, uh, he's someone who's, doing really well right now and commanding his stuff, but I don't really know if there's a route to Dane Dunning looking better than he has in his first two games. Like right now, it's mostly just like, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, I I don't want to make another tortured uh, metaphor than you already have to edit every day, but um, (laughs) he, he, he's, he's maxing out his potential already. And that looks better than Dylan C's kind of fighting it. And it certainly looks better than Ronaldo Lopez uh, kind of finding it and maybe not really showing a path for how he will get there. So I, I would say in, in, in that order that Cease is fourth and then, you know, whatever comes of, of Lopez and, you know, Carlos Rodon constantly kind of fighting injuries is, is, is behind that. Uh, and it's kind of I, I don't necessarily think the fan base is that enthused for Rodon as much as they're enthused to see Lopez suffer some sort of consequences. <laughs> um, so I, I think once base. Rodon recovers <laughs> or comes back, it'll be back to, oh, he's not healthy. Oh, why are we waiting for this potential? Oh, he's never going to be the guy that we thought he was going to be uh, type of grousing with that as well. But, you know, usually you can tolerate that from your fifth starter and. You know, right. Last Could year you? was it last year? Even I don't know. It's been so long. The was literally your opening day starter. That seemed like a lot more right. dire picture for the rotation. It's and this obviously is a different tenor to this conversation because the White Sox, as weird as this season is, and it's it's hard to believe there's a playoffs are coming soon. You know, we're talking about this team as a playoff team, and what's the playoff rotation? And I don't know if the White Sox are going to get deep enough into a postseason to really worry about how deep a rotation could be. Uh, but right now it's obviously, like you said, just Giolito, Keiko, and then, pff, I mean, who, who knows who starts that next game? I guess it just depends. You, you would think it's probably Cease, but it could be Dunning, depending on how he does in the last few starts. Yeah, like it could be Cease or um, it could be um, kind of like all hands on deck. Uh, no one really has enough leash to uh, hurt the team simul- like all by themselves right. type of approach, um, which again would be... I mean, in, in my article today about how they should handle the fifth starter, I basically argue for a tandem. Like, none of these guys are going to give you six innings quality consistently. Why don't you prepare for that? Um, it, that would that would require a level of innovation that the White Sox have been kind of slow to do. And, right. And, and part of that is because they're trying to develop the guys into that, and they don't want to kind of give up on that project by turning them into openers or bulk guys already. Uh, but... 
it, that that would be something you'd be interested to see how much they'll adapt in the playoffs to that kind of reality. Um, but you know, the quip I could make is that you don't have to worry about your game three starter if you get uh, swept in two games in the best of three series. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, talking about, like you said, that level of innovation just doesn't seem to be there. And that's kind of goes into a point, uh, you know, we, we should talk about. And that's that's Rick Renteria's. We'll skip ahead on. The, we made a little we make little schedules of what we're going to talk about. But I think this kind of fits as a segue to jump ahead in that Rick Renteria's, you know, bullpen management and pitching management. And that's kind of like. You know, there, there's there's only a few there's a few jobs of a manager, and some of them are more, you know, tougher to kind of to grasp hold of. You know, leadership and, and stuff like that. How players react to you can change depending on the season, and kind of we kind of make that stuff up as it goes along. Sometimes how important it is, but how you manage a pitching staff, you know, is huge of how people of how the front office judges you. And I would say, you know, just from talking to front office executives in my time, that's like what. When they're watching the game together, you know, bitching in their in their in their suite, you know, they're bitching about how the manager handles the pitching staff. How White Sox fans are getting a little up in arms that Jimmy Cordero pitches like every day, <laughs> and that's how. How do you think Ricky is handling the staff right now? It's definitely strange. Like you wouldn't think. Like it's six six uh six appearances in eight days at this point, and given the fact that you have twenty eight. 28 guys and expanded rosters and uh, you know, expanded bullpen, you wouldn't think that this is necessary or that you would fall into this sort of rut um, in this sort of season. But uh, he referred to, yeah, I, I would say last night when they're already getting blown out, it was more of a comedy for him to come out. It wasn't like you're <laughs> entrusting the, the game or keeping this close to the guy who's pitching every single day. Um, I would say the previous attempts, like, you know, when he comes into, uh, I think a game that they're really by one run just the previous night, then it's like, um, cause I, I felt bad because someone was being angry about, uh, why is Jimmy could, why are they obsessed with Jimmy Codero, um, earlier this weekend. And I said like, you know, since he's come here in the, in the White Sox, he's been a decent middle reliever. Like, it's not like, you don't have to be obsessed to just think that he's trustworthy and you know, Ricky then kind of makes a fool of me and runs him out like three or four times in a row after that. And if I'm Jimmy Cordero's agent, I'm probably not uh, thrilled the way his numbers are spiking as he's being used uh, over and over again, and not not getting very optimistic about future arbitration uh, settlements. But it Renneria kind of referred to him as the guy with the rubber arm, as far as mm-hmm. how they, how they viewed him, which I, I think is a very thankless role for him long term, and is definitely producing very bad results. Um, but it, it seems like he feels like he's backed into some sort of corner um, with just the short starts that they've been getting habitually, which is you know part of what Lopez is contributing to, and the fact that when you look at their bullpen. Um, you really want to preserve without Aaron Bummer, um, Evan Marshall. And um, I would say Matt Foster is now part of a, yeah, in terms of just being a young rookie who has also been productive for getting high level average outs, but also someone you want to have at the ready when there, there's the lead to protect. Um, and, you know, Zach Birdie, you know, him being off of TJ, he's someone that they don't want to ride super hard. They have kind of like little conditionals for a lot of guys um, where they can't be ridden the way that Cordero has. So that's led them to really leading on Cordero. Um, 
in a way that I feel like is not sustainable. It's probably going to shorten Jimmy Guerrero's run <laughs> with the White Sox, um, which is a really thankless position. But it, it, it seems like a product of having so many inconsistent starters, um, having so many guys who are not ramped up, and um, you know, with their their setup crew being thinned out for the lack of bummer. Even though one bullpen injury shouldn't hamstring in such a way, it does make every guy that he does trust in the seventh and eighth in a game where they're winning, uh, someone he kind of protects a little bit more, and thus any kind of situation that's ambiguous, it seems like Cordero's getting thrown at it. Yeah, I wonder how they look at Ricky, how you know how the front office looks at it. Because I, I do think you're right. I think sometimes some of these jobs, you know, and I've heard it from you know both sides of town, like you don't give the manager a lot to work with, and then when he doesn't like he doesn't spin gold, you know, and then he gets criticized. There, there's some interesting there gets to be some interesting dynamics, some workplace dynamics there. I mean, Han happened. praises bullpen usage on the record just uh, last month. I wasn't referring specifically to everyday Jimmy Cordero at that point, but he he has at some point, you know, backed him on that degree or, or gave him praise for how he's dealing uh, with the immediate injury of Bummer. Um, right. You know, a couple of weeks after it happened. And then I will say I talked to and this is, you know, in the past few months, uh, a major executive in town who kind of complained to me about some of the stuff I was writing and using his quotes. And he was like, you know, I just said that stuff to be nice. <laughs> like, don't keep right. Which is it. another element of uh, the <laughs> on the record praise type of stuff. Right. It was like, I, I appreciated someone, even though it was off the record, admitting that to me, <laughs> like, please stop using this against me. Cause I was literally just trying to build this person up and be nice. I'm like, well, thanks. That's great. That's why we don't, yeah, that's why so much of sports media now is uh, sources off the record and thinking well, up creative ways to describe these sources. I, I think Khan has <laughs> at some point said – he told the story on the record, I believe, uh, recently. It's just, just the point that like anything he says about a player winds up in an arbitration hearing. Um, like if you know people that's are saying, point. like, why haven't you – thrown Yolmer Sanchez into the sun and he says uh, you know despite you know the offense not being great he's you're liable to f- like a top level defender at multiple positions then like sure enough when he's figuring out what you know Yolmer Sanchez's raise is that quote gets cited um, as a result so um, everyone kind of has to 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 bear or answer for their on the record quotes at some point <laughs> James let's pause for a moment and then we'll be back with the rest of the show Hey, listener and fellow business, producer Cam here. Listen, it's time you upgrade your full-body grooming game with the precision-engineered tools from Manscaped. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, and it includes an LED light and is made with skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver and Undercarriage Deodorant and the Crop Reviver, a family jewel toning spray. Both are super practical, and guess what? They smell good, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts. Not one, but two. The Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Brief, because who doesn't like a nice pouch for their marbles? 
Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's right. Manscaped is hooking you up here on White Sox Business and at The Athletic. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20. That's all one word with a two and a zero at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Always use the right tools for the job. All right, let's move on to the twin series. Uh, Sox, uh, lose two or three and, uh, Wednesday nights was, was pretty bad. Not, a, not a good game. Uh, what did you learn from it? If anything, um, other than that, the rotation seems to be turned. I mean, this is a, it's a weird offense to watch because Luis Robert has to be like the best player I've ever seen who has like, you know, at least one absolutely terrible at bat per night. Uh, and you know, if he is that honor, he probably took the mantle from Jose Abreu, uh, who even in like his 2014 season, I would just remember some, some out like one or two at bats where he'd be like, like, what are, are you swinging at a breaking ball? It's like 54 feet, uh, in front of mm-hmm. home plate. And then the next ball, he hits like 470 feet. It's, it's a, it's an offense that puts up these numbers and it's production. It obviously looks so great when it's, uh, rolling, in terms of just hitting, you know, 120 mile an hour uh, dingers into the seats, but when they're having an off night or when they're in a deficit, and you see just come some of the level of uh, wild swinging out of the zone, it can really be like, I, what are the opportunities? How much can they really come back? Given that their approaches are just uh, can be so scattershot at times, and you know, how much can you really rag on an offense that even I think after last night is probably top five in baseball, just in terms of runs and, you know, uh, WRC plus. Um, but it is very aggressive. And I think that leads to boomer bust uh, to a degree. Um, I, I feel like Frank Manichino would agree with me, um, given that he's usually focusing on their faults. But I don't know if that that it, it seems very like they could play in a three-game playoff series and they could be hot and they could absolutely blitz some team that they don't have a, any notion that they should or they could kind of just look awful and then you know their season could end really quickly and you know all the talk about like getting the young guys uh vital playoff experience could be talking about two games it's really weird to think about like how quickly the season's going to be over you know regardless like a playoffs like just because I, I think someone said it the other day in an interview, you know, talking about the, the trade deadline, be like, you know, <laughs> this is like May 15th in a normal season, right? Or May 10th. It's, it's just weird to think about how quickly this, this is going to be done. And then you're going to be talking about the off season. Right. Like they, and they basically formalize that Dane Dunning is in the rotation to stay uh, the other day. And I looked at it. I was like, all right, we're going to get to really see Dane Dunning. That's uh, all right. They've <laughs> yeah. committed to five starts. Right. I thought I'm surprised it's that many. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's I was thinking the same thing when I when I saw that. Like it's you know, when we started, we're just like the season started, we're like, well, we have no idea what is gonna happen. You know, this could be over in like a month. And now it you know, this is gonna go the full this is gonna go the full way. I think we're we're all pretty aware of that. But Right. It's like, and that's why I didn't, you know, people were, were talking about the trade deadline. I'm, I was surprised the trade deadline was as active as it was across baseball, to be honest. I mean, I know it was mostly just, you know, role players and things like that, but I was surprised there was even like a couple big moves just because of the length of the season and just, you know, you wonder what, what teams are really, what, what teams are really 
the goal is. You know, what, what are they really shooting for? This isn't, you know, like a win one and then and then at any costs type of thing. And that's why, you know, I didn't think the White Sox with, you know, just making one move was really that radical. Although, they you know, they could have used another starter, yeah, but I, I can definitely understand the reasoning for not, you know, spending to get one. Yeah, I don't think people really understood what it would cost to get Lance Lynn or how how <laughs> I mean Clevenger was a lot of prospects even though they weren't the top ones right and you know to your point I I think um the COVID-19 uh context is partially why Clevenger got moved rather than um yeah right um, <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely a different angle I, I don't know if Clevenger gets moved in a normal season where he behaves uh normally um yeah it's yeah. it, it, Normally, a team's like, wow, you just went out to dinner? That's great. <laughs> hey, what a great guy. But, yeah, I, I don't think that the the White Sox kind of every prospect that they're kind of moved out of love with or moved away from having this super committed spot to um, was necessary to kind of get this front line started that they're coveting. And when it turns to, like, it, it, it would have been, I feel like just if they did it, people would be excited that they added Taiwan Walker or Robbie Ray at the deadline because like, Oh, clearly they have a plan. This is new. They're actively addressing it. But objectively, I don't think that (laughs) that's really better um, than Carlos Rodon. I I don't get more, certainly not Robbie Ray or or some of the kind of really back end filler um, that's been moving around. Um, Not to, pin my reputation on Carlos Rodon being good and healthy and productive, but it was really just a lot of shuffling of that level right. quality of player. And if you felt like you had a guy you could bring back, why would you ship out a meaningful asset for that? Yeah. The, the hard, your hard Carl Gambit. Um, <laughs> I think we should stake your reputation on it. That should be like a new thing we do on the athletic is like, I stake my reputation on dot, dot, dot. And then you have to come up with like, you know, a hard angle. And not like some of my normal equivocating, like, you yeah, know, right. <laughs> right. Me too. Danny Mendick will thing. be a useful utility player for one to three years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring this up to the other editors. I stake, cause now we're doing like the what if stuff. Right. Uh, Do you see the other day on the, on Twitter? I think it was yesterday. Um, our pirates guy, Rob, he did a, what if the pirates drafted Manny, Manny Machado instead of Jameson Talon. Um, and, and then and Jason like, responded, yeah, yeah, Talon responded like that yeah, was a fair article. I get it. <laughs> That's just it was kind of I thought it was really like mature, obviously how he responded, but also kind of sad. <laughs> I mean, well, the, the really good thing would be if Manny responded, be like, oh, thank God that shit didn't happen, <laughs> right? Although he would have been around. When did Manny debut? Um, I want to yeah. say crazy early. Like 2012, right. probably, right? Right. So actually, that would have been pretty awesome because remember when they're in 2015, when they were trying to, uh, you know, take over the pot, you know, they, they had their best season, you know, and the and the Cubs beat them in the in the wild card. I mean, they had to get Aramis back, you know, for his final swan song to play third, you know, and I don't I don't remember who their shortstop was, but it wasn't anyone. Wasn't it the. Uh... Who's that? The guy who's now banned from playing in Korea. 
Was he the short? Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> Jung Ho Kang yeah, or something like that. So look, I'm looking at his 2015 season. It was like incredible. So Machado, Machado does get drafted by the Pirates. You know, I'm probably wearing, you know, Pirates World Series championship gear around my house. Not just in your house, not in the press box at Wrigley Field. Probably not. Maybe though, maybe an undershirt, right? Yeah. That was like, and, and you know, not that anyone cares, but you know, that I remember that, that year specifically because that was like right before, like a week before the wild card game. They told me I, they weren't renewing my contract at ESPN and we had literally just bought a new house. Um, so I was pretty freaked out. Um, so I wasn't like the, I wasn't, so it was the first playoff game I covered for a baseball team since joining ESPN in, in 2009. And it wasn't like the happiest time of my life. Um, and I remember walking home through like walking back to my hotel through like deserted streets of Pittsburgh and just being like fairly depressed. Uh, but that was a wild game. But yeah, Manny Machado wins. Then, then you know, my family and I are celebrating. Fortunately, Jameson Talion is now just left to be on Twitter responding to Rob about what could have been. In- um, injured pitchers are what? very online, I find. <laughs> when they're when they're not playing uh he definitely seems like a big like call of duty guy or like well he's a, a baseball Fortnite player guy. so <laughs> so let's go into back to the white Sox for a sec you know since people are the 600 people are listening for that white Sox talk um before they get the twins again from the 14th the monday through thursday at home four games three of them at three of them at night and before that, though, they've got four against the Royals starting today, starting tonight. They're in Kansas City. Yeah, they can get well. Right. Off day, two at, two at Pittsburgh. Off day, three against Detroit. This is a pretty nice stretch for them. <laughs> we'll be talking, is this the best run organization in sports? Like by the end of like a week and a half. <laughs> Right, exactly. It's gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna swing back to the conversation of uh, are the White Sox uh, a dynasty in making? Right, based on the this extremely scattershot schedule they're playing, I, I, I there's a chance that this time next year we're going to think that every conclusion we reached in about 2020, uh, watching this team in 2020, was based on extremely faulty data. Uh, just they're just swinging between facing the the top of their division and just absolute like rebuilding um, garbage. Uh, I I try not to get too worked up or too. Like I, I'm very trying to be even-handed about the White Sox, but I I have nothing. I feel like the Tigers being 500 is an indictment of uh, the, the American League as a whole. <laughs> that team has nothing. I don't I don't understand what the direction is. I <laughs> a, a very meatball in my assessments of bottom layer teams, and, and the Tigers uh, draw a lot of disgust out of me. I, I don't see a lot of future pieces in that lineup. <laughs> they should have kept Gordon Beckham. Why not? Yeah, I mean, but no, I agree with, it. and I think that was, I, I think people were paying when people were doing their predictions. Like we, we recognized that it was going to be weird just playing their own division, and, and the divisions aren't, you know, the AL Central wasn't going to be super strong. But I don't know if we we realized how bad, you know, it was going to be, and like how and how different it is when we talk about how good a team is or how, you know, this year like oh these guys are going great, but like yeah they don't play they don't have a, a swing on the West Coast. They don't have to face, you know, certain powerful lineups, you know, in different in different divisions. So this really does hurt the decision making and the evaluation of how good a team is, like you said. 
Yeah, it does feel weird to say that they're like one of the top offenses in baseball um, and, and compare their numbers to the Yankees when they're literally like have no overlap in the pitching that they face with the Yankees. Uh, it's it's very strange, I, I feel. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, nationally when people talk about how strong the Central is and that's because they just look at the top three teams and you don't really just assess a, a team a division top to bottom. You usually just like, well, who are their good teams? Right. And you associate them with that. And um I probably, I don't know if it's just the White Sox and how they match up, but um, it seems like the Royals are probably a more competitive club just from yeah. watching them than the Tigers games. But then apparently everyone else has a lot of problems containing the, the mighty Tigers offense. I, I don't really understand it. Uh, but I feel like at least everyone can agree that the Pirates are um, possibly the worst team in baseball. So there, there is that. And they get to play them uh, more times than they usually would. But they've got Cabrian Hayes now, Charlie Hayes' son. <laughs> that's that when he debuted there were so many like writers on my timeline who were talking about it. i was like man i guess people are really more into prospects than they used to be you know five years ago and then i realized it's just old guys talking about like oh i covered his dad oh my god and it's like oh okay i mean yeah i remember charlie hayes's one triumphant season with the pirates good times yeah and he was like old everyone's dad. talking about like <laughs> Brian walking to the clubhouse and uh, right there's a lot of that like oh I remember you know a lot of wistfulness I guess you know I'm getting to that I'm getting to that age where I can be wistful it'll definitely freak me out that whenever like Noah Sanchez is like some slugging DH uh, coming up with the Mariners or something like that in in 18 years I'll, I'll definitely talk about him eating multiple ice cream pops at the same time in the White Sox clubhouse in 2018 right yeah I'm trying to think like what kids I've seen that I don't I have to really think hard on, on uh, cause I've been covering, I've been covering baseball since two, I've been in clubhouse since 2003 now. So I'm getting pretty old. Uh, yeah. you know, oh well, but all right. It's good times, James. Another fun, uh, edition of White Sox business. Thanks for everyone for joining us. We'll be back soon to talk about what may be the, the biggest dynasty, you know, in all of sports. Thanks for listening. <laughs>